I got into the real estate thing and then people just started telling me how their numbers worked and this, that, and the other. And, and they told me how they got a hold of the houses and how to do the calculations. And I was like, I can, I can do that. And I can fix the house. Cause I actually know what it costs to fix. Cause I do it all the time for you guys. Welcome to the true wealth investors podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have an awesome guest, Roger Godwin from Oklahoma City. And he is here because we have a lot of things we are passionate about and they're in common, you know, Kenya, ministry in Africa, and real estate. So he is here to talk about all three and he's got a lot of insights for you, good information, as well as he's going to inspire you to achieve more than you think you can achieve currently. I just put the pressure on you, Roger. So, hey, come on, bring it, baby. Bring it. <laughs> all right, there we go. I'm all, all right. about it. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, brother. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So give us kind of the that origin story. You know, how did you first become interested in real estate? Um, how did you first get started with it? Okay. So I, uh, whenever I was 17 years old, I decided I was going to go to Votech and go learn how to be in the construction industry because that's what my grandfather did. That's what my great grandfather did. And it just intrigued me. So uh, I started that direction. And then my sister's best friend, their landlord needed somebody to work with them. And so I started working with him at the age of uh, 17 worked with him for about 10 years. And during that time period, I learned how to do real estate, but I learned how to do real estate with cash. So I worked with him, we gutted his, and we gutted him, man. We, we made him to the studs and then put them all back together because he said that if his wife wouldn't live there, he's not going to ask anybody else to live there. Mm. So bought it cash, fixed it cash and rented it out to where he could pay himself back in 10 years. So Seventy-five thousand dollars in, seven fifty a month. That's what is. That's kind of how he based it off of. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of the beginning origin story of it. He uh, he's eighty-three or eighty-four now, um, still alive. Um, hang, hanging out with him, and uh, I'm actually supposed to talk to him tomorrow. I'm supposed to take him out to lunch tomorrow, sure. and to get a little bit more of his story because of a project that I'm working on that has to do with the ministry work that I do. So, uh, that was, that was a lot of fun because I learned how to do it right. I learned how to do it correctly and I learned how to do it cash. So I'm like, all right, I guess I got to buy houses cash. I didn't know that you could leverage by the way until five years ago. It kind of opens up a world of possibility, right? I mean, if you're going to buy all cash, yeah, that's a tricky proposition. Yeah. So I bought property back in 08. Um, and yeah, in 08 or 09. And it was just a little dinky house, paid $13,000 for it, put, I think, 12 into it. So I was all in for around 25. We fully furnished it, and uh, my my regular intention was for it to be a sober house because of a friend of mine, but it really became a transitional house for single dads. Hmm. So 
we rented out the rooms a hundred bucks a week per room, fully furnished and you know, all that stuff ready to go. So I have five bedrooms. So it was a great return for a ghetto house on the Northeast side of Oklahoma city. All right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that being your first house and you bought it all cash, like your mentor or like, you know, your mentor had shown you or the model you had seen, um, was that nerve wracking buying the first one or, you know, had you been looking a while and you were confident or what was that process like? So I'm really weird in the fact that even today, all the real estate that I find that I buy, that I flip or that I wholesale or whatever the case is, it's always by referral. Always. Okay. This one came from a referral from a guy that worked with me and said, Hey, I got this connection at the bank um, and they're, they got some property on their, on their books that they need to get rid of. Do you want this house? Yeah. <laughs> um, cause the numbers work because the numbers are so easy that it was better than a 2% deal. Um, even that if we just, awesome. rented out, even if we just rented out regularly, not doing what we did because we were all in 25 and rental over there was 600, 650. So it was a heck of a. So numbers don't lie. Um, yeah, it's hard to argue with 2%. Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was pretty fantastic. And, you know, it, it was a great learning experience. I don't know that it was really nerve-wracking. I have a really high tolerance level of, uh, of risk being in construction, okay. being a business owner. Um, man, you know, it's just you just hustle. You just go and do it. You take the step and, you know, either you win or you lose or you somewhere in between. And what about, uh, I'm kind of the same mindset too. If I, if I get in my head that I'm going to do something, I'm just going to go do it. Um, but not everybody thinks that way for sure. Were there people around you that thought you were crazy or, um, were people real supportive? What was, what was the well, reaction? Well, my wife was supportive, so that was okay. That's all that really mattered. Um, and I also have another perspective, and, and I'm sure you do as well, that we've seen what real poverty is. We know what that really looks like. There's broke people in the States, but there's real poverty elsewhere. Um, so I knew that if I had a house for my own family, even if I lost everything, I still lived in America and I'd be fine. So taking the risk for it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. That perspective change in perspective really is, is huge. I know I when so. I started, we started investing, we had just gotten back from living in Kenya for four years. And so what other people saw as a big risk to me was, Nothing close to what I've been risking <laughs> for years yeah, right. on end, you know. I got, I got working plumbing inside the house. <laughs> yeah. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So it is, uh, that perspective does matter. <laughs> it does. It does, man. And having been in Central and South America and, you know, over in the Middle East and over in Africa and in Europe and Eastern Europe and in the micro in the South Pacific islands and stuff, man, it's like, we're fine. We're good. Yeah. So, 
All right. So where did you go from there from that first deal? What was next? Uh, so, so from that first deal, I actually didn't do anything else. I, uh, I just started working, doing construction, had that house for a couple of years, uh, ended up selling it to a friend of mine uh, after my dad had passed away. And so I just stayed on the, on the track of doing construction and building my construction company. And five years ago, I discovered a uh, MP RIA uh, here in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma City RIA. And that's where I learned that you can leverage money to buy houses and not use all your cash. Hey, all right. So, so the dues to that RIA paid off. <laughs> oh, way paid off. Well, and you know, what's really funny is it really paid off well because the whole reason why I went there is because I was looking to find more business for my construction company. Um, okay. Uh, because I wanted more consistency. So I believe that if you're going to grow your business, you need to go where people are. And you need to be the one person that is not in that room because the realtors, mortgages, bankers, roofers, all those people are in all the networking groups. No matter where in the country you go, those people are in there. Insurance. That's the other one I was trying to think of. It's really basic. So construction guys do not do that. It's a good so, point. I can't think of, I mean, I'm very active in my RIA, lead a subgroup, and I can't think of maybe a couple specialty like window installers, but there aren't general contractors in there or uh, builders in there or even handymen. So that's a yeah. good point. Dude, guys, clean up. Go. <laughs> that's right. Really. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I tell my, I tell the people that I invest my time in here in Oklahoma, and, and this is for anybody anywhere, really, but you can go to RIAs, you can go where the real estate investors are to, uh, to get some knowledge. But if you're wanting to find deals, you don't go there to find deals. Those people have their own deals, they're going to sell their own deals, unless you're buying from a wholesaler. But wholesalers, fixers and flippers, buying holders, that's all that's there. And they're not going to float you deals because that's their deal and they already have it. So if you want to actually go get deals, find deals, you go to the, all the other networking places because nobody does it. <laughs> that's a good tip. That's a great tip. I think, you know, a lot of people go to the RIAs thinking that's where they're, they will source the deals when that's more for, <laughs> networking and learning and getting information and so find buyers you can find buyers you know if you're if you're getting into the wholesale game or you know i mean that's i think the only value um of a ria for somebody that's going into that into that direction is to find some buyers and you have to go to the right one because we have two here in oklahoma city and one of them is the 101s like there's not really a lot of buyers and then mm -hmm. the other one much more educated um, much more seasoned investors. Okay, sure. So I, it's interesting hearing more of your story because right now I see you just doing deal after deal after deal, just crushing it, so active. So I think it's kind of uh, inspiring that you bought your first deal. It was a great deal, over it 2%. It was a great deal. <laughs> great deal. But the next deal after that was a long time, you know, that life gets busy and we get tied up with other things. So what was like, what was it that got you back into real estate and, and transitioning out? Was it joining the RIA and, 
and learning about financing and leverage or what was that like spark to get you back in? Well, so what happened is that I went into that market in, into the RIA to go and figure out, all right, I need to build some business because my full attention was my construction company. Um, I, I wasn't there to try to learn how to do real estate. I, it was just another networking thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm smarter than the average bear. And I go where there's not other people like me to go make money because I'm a relational person. So, you know, relationships build things and there's a lot more grace with situations whenever you have a relationship versus just being a, uh, you know, transaction. Right. Yep. So I started doing some uh, make readies for real estate investors that were there. So I built that reputation in that, in that uh, group the other guy that was doing it started to step out. So I filled his place and he and I are really good friends, Andrew Cross. And it was really fun to be able to um, transition into that place. Um, because from talking with the investors about their houses, because I was doing all the work and I just asked questions because I believe in the dummy curve. I'm a dummy over here. So I'm going to ask all the dummy questions and they're just going to be like, Oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. I'll tell him. So that's really nice people too. Um, <laughs> do you, with the dummy curve, do you feel like you get more information out of people or you learn more things or what's the. So, so the dummy curve is whenever you don't know anything. So there's a story that I could tell, but I'm not going to, but if you're the, you know, there's that old saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Or if you're the biggest fish in the pond, you're in the wrong pond. So with that, whenever you're a new person or whenever you're wanting to learn something, you just act like you just don't know. And even if you might know kind of sort of, don't be afraid to ask the question because that's where a lot of people get hung up. I don't know things. Even things that I should know, I say, I don't know. For example, we're going to have a financial literacy class um, with the group that I have here in Oklahoma City. And I told everybody there's like, I know nobody else has money problems. I know everybody else doesn't bounce their checks. I know everybody else does not. Um, uh, I know everybody else does not have a argument with their spouse over money. I know you guys don't. I do. So I'm going to bring some specialists to talk to me. And if you guys want to come and join us, come on. Just sit in. I know it doesn't pertain, but you know. I, you know, <laughs> I don't want you to feel like I, I just, I, I, it'd be nice to know that I'm not the only one, but you guys just come and hang out and I'm going to be schooled on what I'm doing wrong. Okay. <laughs> I so, think that come, comes across very humble and genuine too. In all honesty. It's the truth, brother, man. Yeah, that's the truth. Thank you, Jesus, for my wife. Amen. So, but got it. So anyways, I, I got into the real estate thing and then people just started telling me how their numbers worked and this, that, and the other. And, and they told me how they got a hold of the houses and how to do the calculations. And I was like, I can, I can do that. And I can fix the house. Cause I actually know what it costs to fix. Cause I do it all the time for you guys. <laughs> yeah. So I started uh my first dude get this my first wholesale deals was actually a six pack from a guy from the Philippines. Really? Yes. All right, fill me in. How on earth did this work out? This worked out beautifully. <laughs> but um so the method that I had, I should probably do it again, but I'm not doing the construction anymore. 
So I had contractors and they were like my eyes and ears on the street, right? So they went to go talk to a realtor. They said, hey, this investor's out of town. They're just wanting to fix it up enough to be able to sell them. Can you come in? So that contractor told me about them. I was like, I want to come and look at them. So I negotiated for all six properties. And I almost got a free condo out of the deal because I didn't, uh, I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to sell a stupid condo. People don't want to buy condos. Ends up the lady that lived there wanted to buy it and had the cash to do so. Mm. So um, it, it was very interesting because they were in Manila. So that's the capital. Thank God that's where the U.S. Embassy was because we had to have legal notary work done. So mm-hmm. I sold the package of six to five different people. <laughs> and we closed all of them except for that condo on the same day. Wow. And that was your first wholesale deal. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. So did the contractor work directly for you or he was just another contractor? It was actually a woman. It was actually a woman contractor, a woman GC. Um, Her name was Honey, actually. Um, Like Honey Bee. Um, That's her actual name. People didn't believe that's what her name was. Uh, but she just called me. So she was my general contractor that whenever I couldn't get to a deal, she did for me. So, and they just knew I was looking to start buying property and just put it. I tell you what people, you guys put that out into the world. The deals will come to you because somebody somewhere knows somebody that needs to do something with a property period or other problems. So what were, if you remember, what were the numbers on that? So that whole so that whole package I sold for a total of 320000 to all five of the buyers. And I ended up making around fifty. That's awesome. For a first wholesale deal? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Unreal. It was fun. <laughs> so I know kind of the key to your business model or, you know, what you attribute a lot of your success to is referrals and just Mm -hmm. talking to people and um, putting out there what you'll do and helping people, right? You're serving them, not really selling something. Right. So what are, what are some keys in your mind? How does that work? What are some keys to getting those referrals and not having to pay for advertising? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I still haven't totally figured that out. (laughs) People just call me. Um, So I I started, I did start asking that question though um, and started paying more attention to it. So I have contractors that call me still. I have uh, a buddy of mine that I took to Kenya with me in 2019. Uh, I took him to do the video work with us at the conference. And he called me up and said, hey, I know that you like do something with real estate. You're not a realtor, but you buy houses or something. And my friend needs to sell this house for 75. She's had really low ball offers and I found it and I got it. I went and looked at it, saw it. I'll give you 75. I'm not even going to argue with you. And I ended up selling it for 85 to a friend of mine. And I sell everything on a phone call because people say, to, and I'll get back to the, you know, how the referrals come. My mentor, Stephen, which you know, is how we actually met each other. Yeah. Said, 
If you cannot sell your house on a phone call, you didn't buy it right. Interesting. So what does that, what's entailed? As I've never heard of somebody selling on a phone call. What, I mean, what do you present in that phone call? I, so in those phone calls, I call people up and said, all right, I know that you're buying in the Northeast side of town. I got this thing for 20,000. I know it's going to cost 15,000 uh, 15, to fix it up, to get it rental ready. That means that you're all in at 40,000, right? I know that that house in particular will rent for 800 or better. That's a 2% deal. I call Alan. I call Steven. I call other Alan. I call uh, Scotty. Period. Okay. Uh, so I, so whenever I meet with buyers, I purposely have about 10 people that I can call because that gets me all around the Oklahoma city Metro. Well, and it sounds like your buyer or, or your, the people that you call for that disposition, right? Where you're, you're essentially selling your contract or signing it. Mm -hmm. Those people have to know that you know your numbers and trust you and there's not a lot of doubt, right? You have a relationship with them. Correct. And 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 I've built those over the years, but the main thing, because I was a contractor, people believe my numbers. Because wholesalers are notorious to underbid costs of repairs and overestimate the ARV. Completely. Yeah. And the problem with that is people is that you are seen as a liar in the market and nobody's going to believe your stuff from that point forward. Right. I, I think it's completely short-sighted. They're trying to, you know, get this great profit off of one deal when if they would be realistic with the rehab and the ARV, they could do deal after deal after deal. Right. There are plenty of buyers. Absolutely. So, well, and that so that's just the that's the recommendation that I have personally for whenever you're coming to the disposition side is just have go and build the relationships with the people, know what their numbers are, why their numbers are what they are, and whenever you call them, they know that it's a deal. Sure. So you know, it's about ten people. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, and then if it's not a deal, and you're trying to help somebody out, it's like, well, if you guys give me a little extra time. I'm going to do it this way and then you can blast it out. (laughs) Okay. Well, sure. So, I mean, at this point, how many years ago was the first wholesale? Five years ago. Five years ago. Starting in the, so January was my start into my fifth year. Okay. And about how many deals have you done or what? I've done, I've done over 120. It's awesome. So, I mean, I think it's a rare wholesaler who's done that many deals and been in it this long, really. Um, it's really fun, man. So what what do you think are, I guess, some secrets to staying in the business? Is there is there any secret to it beyond the relationships and integrity that when you bring up a deal, they know the numbers are accurate? So... The way that, so my recommendation to anybody is to just be forthright, honest with people, especially sellers. And because people try to play this stupid game from all these different gurus and saying, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to bring in my contractors and I'm going to bring in, it's like people know better. People mm-hmm. aren't, stupid. and then they're going to be ticked off at you because you thought they were stupid. 
And, you know, the conversations that people need to have with their sellers is being honest. And I'll tell you the three questions that will get you almost every single answer you need whenever you're doing it. Number one, what does your future look like after you sell the house? Are you going to travel? Are you going to move? Are you going to, you know, take your grandchildren somewhere? Because most of the people are in, the, in that age range, you know, 16 older. What does that look like? And then the second question is, why did you call me? Why am I here? What has happened to this point that made you call me? And they'll tell you the story. Because stories is what people want to tell. And, they, and people want to be heard and listened to. And then the last one is how can I help you from today until we close? If we can come to the numbers that we need. And I'm very upfront and honest with people about the numbers because I, I try to disqualify people before trying to qualify them. I will tell them off a ballpark over the phone because I know my city really well. I'm going to be at this number minus the cost of repairs based on what I know about your property. If that's a good fit for you and time is more important than money, I'm a good fit. If not, call a realtor because that's going to be your best bet. I would rather somebody not fight me the whole way than to fight me because I'm not meeting their needs. Yeah, and I think that's a those are great qualifying questions and perspective to, you know, this is the type of person I help who wants mm -hmm. to sell quickly and isn't numbers focused. Right. Yep. If price is their top concern, then wholesaling isn't how they should sell. They should sell with a realtor and just yep. go through the process. Yep. So, and I love your questions um, because for sellers, this is like a very intense time, you know, trying to get rid of this house or um, whatever their situation is, you know, that mm -hmm. with your questions, they're telling you their why, why they need to sell. But that first question, you're also taking them already to the point where they've crossed that stressful situation, right? You're already putting in their mind, this is how life will be better once you and I go through this together. I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, and, and I'll tell you the psychological, per, per, the, the psychological reasons behind those questions is what is the future creates excitement. Asking how I got here to have this conversation with you brings up pain and then asking what I can do to help you in between now and then creates relief. Mm. And that kind All, of uh, positions you as the one helping them through that pain. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I can tell you, you know, even just this last year, one deal, I put up $15,000 for a couple to help them in between the time that we met with them sign the documents uh, that with that 15 grand, we bought both the husband and a wife, a car um, out of that housed them outside of the home because of some pretty bad situations that happened. So, and I got paid back at closing and I got paid interest on my money. So that was nice. Um, we, uh, my family and I, uh, we took a trip up to Montana together because we moved a couple from Yukon, Oklahoma, which is just West of Oklahoma city to Billings, Montana packed up their stuff and we took it up there for them. <laughs> That's awesome. Because it solves the problem. You're there as a wholesaler, as a real estate investor, whatever, whatever the position is, you're there to help solve problems and to help create 
relief and to help come up with answers. Well, I'm coming across from this conversation. It's obviously that you're helping people. It's personal, it's relational. Mm-hmm. And I feel like too many wholesalers struggle with thinking it's just numbers. We're just getting that low ball cash offer and then reselling it at a higher number. And they're missing that key aspect that you're dealing with people, not just it's numbers. People business, and yeah. it's a people business. Yeah, huge. You know, one thing, uh, you know, whenever you choose, and this is really for, for your audience, but whenever you're choosing somebody to work with, if you're an experienced investor, um, as a wholesaler or as a, as a fixer and flipper or a buy and holder, you need to know what the motivators are of those people that you're working with and make sure that they align with you. You know, in the Bible, it talks about being unevenly yoked. And that's not just for marriage, but that's in business. And that's spending your time with people. But I decided about a year ago that I was not going to invest my time in anybody that their main focus and drive was money. Mm. If you're wanting to get into this business to make a lot of money, I'm not the person to be your mentor or to teach you. So what is your main focus and drive? Yep. So my main focus and drive is number one, serving people because you got to have a bigger purpose than just yourself. So um, my number one priority on this earth is to serve my wife and to love my family and to take care of my children. That is my number one priority in this world. My other priority in this world is to do the work that I'm called to do. And for me, that is creating sustainable businesses through capitalism for people in other countries and specifically Kenya at this point in time. That's awesome. So, you know, I think that's, that's something I'm passionate about too, which, you know, yeah. Know, and well. the whole, <laughs> and the whole true wealth brand is that wealth in, includes more than money, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a ton of money, but um, you don't have good relationships and you aren't making an impact, then you you're falling short. And so um, I'm passionate about making an impact, having quality relationships and having plenty of money to be able to do those things. Yes. So, and uh, additionally, helping other people do that. So, because yep. I, I like that teaching aspect and encouraging aspect. So Absolutely. Um, I'm with you a hundred percent. So what are, what are some of your activities or ministry to try to help that help uh, foster or encourage that uh, capitalism overseas? Yeah. So, In 2019, I was asked to go and speak to a group of uh, young entrepreneurs in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was also asked to speak at a conference a couple of times for pastors and some lay people. So lay people are people that work, uh, for those of you that don't know what that means. So I was asked to go and speak and teach, and it was fantastic. It was wonderful because of the fact that they are some of the hardest working people I ever met in my life because they have no option. (laughs) Either you work or you starve. That's it. Or you steal or you starve. So meeting the young entrepreneurs that I met, most of them are pastors or in in the ministry of some way, some sort, because of the way that I got over there. So we were able to figure out what is the local economy? What are some things that can be at the bottom level 
entry level, cheap ways to get into starting creating sustainability? And what resources do you have? So last year, uh, finally got to a point to where the group of 10 entrepreneurs, they're all going in on uh, cultivating this product called cassava. It's like a root. And what they do is that they, it's a flower, basically. It's another option to maize and all that. So, but on one acre, I think they said it produces 22 tons. Like it's insane how much it grows, but it's like a root. So is that so, a cash crop or do the, is it processed uh, yeah. somehow? Okay. Yeah. So there, yeah. So there's the process. So there's, there's, you know, just like anything else, you know, are you the one that's doing it, getting it out? And then are you taking it all the way to the market or are you just, what, what part are you in it? Right. Yeah. So for them, they're uh, they're growing it, they're drying it, and then they're selling it off to uh, people to process. Okay. Um, another one, uh, another pastor and his wife, uh, they're moved out to a, a house where they were able to have about an acre of land and they have a garden and then they also have a chicken farm now. And I love his story because whenever I, whenever I talked to him in between the time I was there in October, uh, June, June of 2019, and I went back as a guest to speak at a university and some other conferences in October, uh, I called him up on WhatsApp and I said, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to get a truck to get bananas from Nairobi to Thika. What? <laughs> <laughs> So he told me what he was doing is like, how much is that going to like put in your pocket? It's like $20 us. It's like, well, I mean, that's good, I guess. Um, but it took him all day to do it, to get the whole thing done and arranged and crazy stuff. And while he's busy doing that, he couldn't be the pastor in his church. Hmm. So just these opportunities came up to be able to say, how can we utilize the, the gifts, talents and abilities of the people to create sustainability, especially for the pastors, because if the, if the pastor does not have a wife that has a good job, that's a constant struggle. And, and this particular pastor, his wife's a pharmacist. So she was making decent money. Um, not like in the States though, like a, 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 a pharmacist makes like $1,300 us a month <laughs> um, there. So he was able to at least have some help. And a lot of that money goes to support the church and their own family because pastors there are the cornerstone of the community cornerstone of the society so just seeing them hustle all the time and having to raise money and get money and try to figure out how to get money just so they could keep the doors of the church open so i just had a real heart for that so creating sustainability now he can go out his back door he can manage and take care of the chickens take care of the garden him and his wife and now he can pastor it's awesome. So yeah. creating you know, people how to fish, not giving them fish, right? Right. And a sustainable model where you don't they don't have to keep raising money or getting donations. They're able to support themselves. That's huge. I think so. So yeah. that's the call. <laughs> that's the purpose. That's the why. That's awesome. And I get all excited hearing you talk I'm about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture the truck and the roads and, you know, Cause you know, man, cause you know, <laughs> yeah, those roads are rough. You kind of like, you kind of bounce. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's right. Whole different world. Thanks for great people. Anywhere. Amazing people. Yeah. So, 
So for um, where are you, you know, what are you going into now? What do you, what are your goals moving forward, um, both here and overseas? What if I have you back down the road, which I hope I do, hope I we hope have so. this conversation again. What are you going to be uh, uh, involved in six months? Well, from now? well, six months from now, I should have my book completed, uh, writing a book called Capitalism in the Kingdom. And it's basically that principle of what we just spoke about, creating sustainability, that wealth is important in the kingdom and it's not to be looked down on, it's to be edified. And because people with the means of being able to make money to impact the kingdom is extremely important versus the pauper, you know? Um, you know, you got the story of the widow and they gave her last pence, you know, at the church and people think, well, you know, if you give your last pence, then you're holier than the other person that has money. I asked some pretty wealthy people, what do you think about the Bible in the Bible? What do you hear and think about with um, the statement of, you know, with wealth in the Bible? And they like, well, it's easier for a man to go, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that breaks my heart because there's extremely wonderful people that are extremely wealthy and there's horrible people that are wealthy. There's really horrible people that are broke too. <laughs> and there's Completely fantastic true. Yeah. <laughs> that are broke. So it takes every genre of person. But whenever I think about the Bible, I think about the talent story, right? Mm -hmm. The one, the three and the five and creating an abundance from what God has given you. And you've managed to be able to create more wealth to impact the kingdom. So that's huge. I love it. Yeah, that was one of our kind of keystone foundational lessons when I was in Kenya, that the passage, Jesus doesn't explain why one person gets one and one gets three and one gets five. There's no explanation for that. It's just that if you do well with what you're given, you'll be given more that, you know, whatever we have, we should use it for his glory. We should be good stewards of it. So Absolutely. that's great. So, but with the, so with that book, uh, in the next, in the next 12 months, I'll be speaking at churches and helping them. Uh, um, my whole mission and goal behind that book is to be able to create, uh, the credibility to be able to get in the doors of churches to be able to say, Hey, I'm not here to ask you for any money. I'm not here to ask you for your funds to help sponsor anything that's going on overseas, locally, whatever. But I want to show you how working with me and my company and other investors, how we can help bring funds to your church for your missions, for your local church, for improving your church, whatever it is. So that's the main purpose and focus of what I'll be doing. That's cool. I've never really heard that. I'm pretty, yeah. uh, you know, God put something on my heart six months ago about it. I'm like, okay, all right. I'll just... <laughs> okay, let's go do it. He's given me the vision, so it's my job to pursue it, right? Sure. That's great. Sure. Yeah. So how about other people? I mean, other people wanting to get started, what encouragement would you give to them or what advice would you give to them um, to continue so, on? In regarding the getting into real estate? Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. ministry as well, but I think most people – kind of struggle for money initially. And then once they have more freedom uh, with that, they have more time to focus on their purpose. Absolutely. Well, first of all, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
because that book will help give you a concept that you probably have never heard or understood. And that is, if you understand that you can leverage your time, energy, and money, you can buy back your time. That's the best thing that I love about that book is that he wanted, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's dad wanted to buy his time because he didn't want to work all the time. He didn't want to do all those things. And Mm. at this point in time in my life, even starting with last year, my goal is to create time for my family and to create time for my ministry work. My goal isn't to make money. My goal is to do what I'm called to do. Real estate has allowed me in a very easy way to be able to make that happen. I struggled for over 10 years, over a decade doing my construction company. Almost went bankrupt, almost got divorced, almost lost everything. And I was able to come back from that because when I had a Paul, which is the spiritual mentor, two, I have a prayerful wife. Thank you, Jesus. But mostly I came to the discovery that, you know what, I needed to take time to be with my family and I needed to take time to do that. So I went and worked for somebody else. And then a year later, he asked me, what's my goals? Like, I'm going back into the mission field because that's what I'm called to do. I think everybody knows what they're called to do. I think people are just scared to admit it. Deep down, I think people really know what they're called to do in this life. But getting into real estate, going into the networking groups is the best thing you can do. Somebody said, if you started in a brand new city, what would you do? I said, I'd go to every single networking group where there's free food and booze. Is that, are those the groups other people show up to and are most yeah. talkative? <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> there we go. Movers and shakers going to place just because I have that knowledge and understanding. And I have obviously a skill set um, that not a lot of people do have. I mean, I'm a connector. I remember people from 20 years ago, probably. If I see them, I'll know their face and remember their name for the most part. But and I remember little things about them because that's how I do. And that, that's how I remember people is because of a story that I tell myself about them. Hmm. So that's just a little trick that I use, but building relationship gets you where you need to go. Have a job. Like I got some young guys. I told them, go get a job, do your eight to five and make sure that your basic needs are taken care of before getting into this real estate thing. Because people that are just like, Oh, I'm going to do real estate. Okay, great. It's feast or famine while you get started. If you've always been an eight to fiver, oh, do not stop doing your eight to five until you have some stability and you understand it very, very well on how to move forward. That's sharp. Yeah, I think it's huge to, uh, well, read and build your network. That's, That's awesome. Your network is your net worth, baby. Come on. It is. You hear it often, but it is completely true. That's why you hear it, right? <laughs> completely, truly a fact, undoubtedly the truth. Yeah. Yeah. On those days when there's a meeting and I feel a little introverted and I don't really want to go, just go. Just everybody's willing to talk and ready to talk. Just ask questions. Yep. So Show up and just yeah. ask one or two questions. Those three, those three questions you can ask to anybody just kind of change it around a little bit. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. If you were going to change your job, what would you do? 
if you're going to, you know, what's your ideal lifestyle after you retire or whatever it may be? Yeah. Why did you show up to this meeting tonight? What brought you or, or, or uh, initiated what, you joining the RIA or whatever? Yeah. What answers are you seeking? That's awesome. That's really yep. good. You'll They're have fun. anybody talking. Oh. So if you're an introvert, that's the best advice I can give you. Ask questions that are not closed. Like the stupid question of what do you do? That's a stupid question. <laughs> well, you really don't learn that much about the person either. You know, you I'm an engineer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Completely true. The open-ended question. And real estate investors love to talk too. So it, it won't take too many questions and people will be talking. So true statement. <laughs> All right, Roger. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing insights on uh, your business and getting into wholesaling as well as ministry. I really, I admire what you do. And for other people who want to see more, keep track of you, how do they find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, uh, you guys can go onto YouTube and you can find me at Equipping Leaders Network as well as you can go on and we have equip talks on there that range from a lot of different uh, types of topics. And we have a Q and a one that was really fun. Just a bunch of random questions. You can find me on Facebook under Roger Godwin. Uh, it's me in a gray suit with a pink shirt, very handsome guy, shorter hair. So it's not as long. Um, so that's probably the best way to connect with me. And then uh, also you can just find us on Facebook at uh, Outside the Box. That's uh, the name of my podcast, as well as Equipping Leaders Network. All right. Awesome. Encourage everybody to do that. You've got a lot going on. You weren't able to touch on everything in this short time, but uh, really grateful for what you were able to share. So thanks Absolutely. again, Roger. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for your time, brother. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.